I'll get straight into it because I am, I had a lot to say and we're going to put it down and get you out right on time. Amen. All right. Good news. Who loves good news? I love good news. I love being, um, when we're overseas this year, we had so many texts. Oh my gosh. I think in the first, um, in the first trip that we went over, I got so many texts about engagements. I think the next one was babies and now like there's been weddings and things like that. But good news is good to get. Yeah. It brings joy to the, the bearer of good news and it brings joy to the hearer of good news. And uh, I don't have an announcement of good news, anybody. Don't, don't be rearing up for anything. It's fine. Um, but good news is what I'm talking about a little this morning. Um, oh, I'll tell you that in a moment. Um, but a couple of months ago, uh, Luke and I got to um, share some good news with um, Holly and Ad were on the other end of the phone and things like that. We just finished a conference in Greensboro, North Carolina. And it was Saturday night, and so it was Sunday morning here. And uh, we got to ring up and FaceTime Holly and Adam, and we we're going to tell Noah this big announcement. And uh, you can imagine the joy that I kind of had when I'm, we're gearing up for this. I had a, there is a video of it, but Rihanna in Rihanna style kind of interjects herself into the video, and she goes, oh, hey, like mid-announcement. So I, um, I didn't do that. But uh, we're telling Noah that his aunties and uncles are going to take him to America, to Disneyland. Now, this is not a a common occurrence, trust me. This is a one-off, once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. But you can imagine the joy that we had telling him. My gosh, he grabbed onto Holly and he hugged her and there were happy tears and things like that. And it brought joy to us to tell him good news. But the thing about good news is you have to believe it for for it to be good. If I, was, uh, if I was ringing up Noah and telling him we're taking him to Disneyland, but really we're just kind of ducking down to Black Butt Park, my joy would be somewhat diminished because I didn't believe what I was telling him. I just probably wouldn't even bring it up because that'd be awful. So good news has to be believed for it to bring joy. And uh, we have good news, church. We do. We, as Christians, are actually carriers of the gospel, which is translated to good news. We carry good news. And and as a result of that, it should bring joy to people. Is this not the time that we sing joy to the world? The Lord has come. It's good news. It should bring joy. And the reason that we can have so much joy in the good news is because we have a sure footing to keep our feet upon. In a, in a world that is fading and dying away, we have something eternal to place our feet on. And that brings joy, amen? Amen, it brings joy. And so this morning, I want to explore this idea of joy a little more. Um, the Holy Spirit really, really got me one this yesterday, actually, because every year, poor Pam puts up with me, but she wants to do a Christmas series, a teaching Christmas series every year, and every year I complain. I just think, oh my gosh, we're going to tell the same story again, over and over, and so this year she didn't put on a, a Christmas series, and I got to the end of my sermon, and I went, I've written a Christmas sermon. I didn't even realise that I was writing a whole sermon on joy, and, uh, and so... The Holy Spirit has your back 
more than mine in this case. <laughs> but we're going to explore joy. And uh, not in a series of points, but in some scriptures and then some questions so we can reflect and answer and just discover a bit together. But we can read in uh, Joy, in Acts 8.8, there is a story that talks about that uh, the whole city was, uh, was seized with joy. Because of what Jesus had done and the news of Jesus and his resurrection and the Holy Spirit at work in them, the whole city was seized with joy. Can you imagine a whole city seized with joy? The closest I can actually come is Newcastle 97 Grand Final. That's about all I can come to. The whole city seized with joy. But when was the last time in our day and age that a whole city was seized with joy? Is it the message that's lost its power? Or have the people lost their zeal? I don't mean hype when I talk about zeal. I don't mean that, yeah, Jesus kind of hype kind of thing. I mean a firm-footed joy that comes from knowing and believing the good news of Jesus. Do the people of God actually believe that we're carrying good news? Or have we allowed religion to warp the message so much that now we actually believe we're carrying a message that points at people and tells them to change rather than brings a message of hope that there is change? We bring good news, church. We're not carriers of religion demanding people that they would look like us, be like us, act like us. We carry the news of hope, of freedom, of joy and restoration. We are constantly carrying this message. And if we allow ourselves to believe it, joy should be the outcome in our lives and others. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first question I want to uh, explore is this. It's, is there a correlation between joy and Jesus? Well, yes, or I wouldn't have asked the question because it would have gone nowhere. So, (laughs) yes, there is. There's a correlation between joy and Jesus. Many times we see um, joy as being an outcome of people uh, experiencing Jesus. Uh, The angels at this time said, hark, uh, we sing, Jesus is here. And you see that people uh, receive miracles and they run away with joy and the cities are seized with joy because of Jesus. So there is a correlation between joy and Jesus, but there's more than that. In the Old Testament, we see prophecy in Isaiah, and, and it's echoed again in Hebrews 1.9 that says this. It's God speaking of his son, Jesus. The God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So if we know that uh, he was anointed with joy, anointed with joy, not just a little bit. He's anointed and then we can, we can know that the anointing that we're meant to be functioning out of is also joy. Why? Because he was the anointed one who now lives in us. And so if the anointed one who is anointed with joy now lives in us, just by default of carriers of him, it's an anointing we should be functioning out of. 
Joy is what we should be functioning out of, and Jesus was anointed with it. The Old Testament talks about anointing in this way. They poured oil over their head. It wasn't like what we saw this morning with just a touch of oil. They poured it over. It dripped over. It was, it was everywhere. And so Jesus didn't have just a little bit of joy. He wasn't that guy that just kind of walked in the party. He goes, hey, you want to hear a joke? No, 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 that's all I got. Sorry. And then moves on. This guy was invited to all the parties. Not because the parties were so raging and they needed a Debbie Downer to calm things down. This guy was was always um, accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Why? Because he was at the parties covered in joy. Jesus was covered in joy. Uh, Steve Brown in his book, Approaching God, says this. If there is no laughter, then Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there's no joy and freedom, it's not church. It's simply a crowd of melancholy people basking in a religious neurosis. If there is no celebration, there's no real worship. Jesus was anointed with joy. With joy. Second question is this. So if he was anointed with joy, then what does the Bible say about it? Heaps. It says so much about it. I picked a few things. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 27 says this, that strength and joy fill his dwellings. So where God is, there's strength and there's joy. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow that you'd be filled with joy so that you overflow. Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, things of this world, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. It's one of the big three, joy. That's just to mention a few things that the Bible says about joy. One of the most interesting verses, I believe, about joy is, is found in Nehemiah eight ten, and it says this, That the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Joy will be your strength. There could be a a, a whole list of religious things that we could probably think that goes before joy that would bring strength. But it's God says that joy is our strength. So joy is not something you just experience when you first come to know Christ. And you just think, oh, they'll get over it. When they get into the mature things of Christ, they'll get over it. No, you don't mature mature from joy. You mature into joy. Because at first it might be an exciting thing, but then you have to go through a few things. And you mature into joy. When do you need strength? In hard times. Not when everything's easy. You show me a joyful Christian and I'll show you someone who's had to go through a few things. Because they have learned to, to draw deep from the wells of joy. We are going to have bad times. Scratch that. We're going to have awful, devastating, heartbreaking times in our lives. We will. Some people have had them. Some are on the horizon. But in that moment, God promises that joy can be our strength. Not a grit and bear it. Yep, everything's great. But no, no, no. It looks like it's falling down. And I can see that. But I have fixed my eyes on a kingdom that will never fall down. And I have fixed my feet on a sure footing that I am not shaken by this circumstance. And that's where my joy comes from. 
The context of the verse, Nehemiah 8.10, was not a wonderful context. The people were actually in great mourning. They were devastated because the law had just been read out. And they realized how far they were from God and how much they had offended him. And in that moment, said, no, no. God said, no. Allow the sorrow of your sin to draw yourself to the goodness of my grace. And rejoice and find joy to be your strength. Joy is strength, according to the Bible. So, question, how do we get this joy? I understand what you're saying, Jess. Jesus had joy, but it was Jesus. How do I get this joy? And as a side note, I just, just for a moment... Please don't think that I don't understand that there are genuine mental health issues where people experience dark, dark seasons in their life. I am not saying it's a blatant just get on with it. And I believe that whether through medication, lifestyle or divine intervention, God's will is that we would be healed to have a new mind and a new heart. This is not just a get over it message. God has healing and there'll be joy in that. So how do we get this joy? How does this joy become outworked in our lives? Well, I believe a correct understanding of our identity will allow a right functioning of the Spirit in our lives. Let me say that again. A, right, a correct understanding of our identity, if we see ourselves correctly and understand our role in Christ, a right functioning of the Spirit will be outworked in our lives. Galatians 5.22 promises that as, as a way of being connected to the Spirit, we will experience peace, love, and joy. It's in the top three again. It's important. Joy, that we will experience joy. So joy is not so much something that you attain, but it is rather maintained as the Holy Spirit flows through us. It's not a place that we arrive because where we are, is all, God is always doing a new thing. We're always moving and running the race. It's not a place that we arrive and think, I've found joy here. I'm not going any further, guys. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that's maintained within us as the Holy Spirit leads us. In the, in the Old Testament, we read about the promised land. For those of you that may not know what the promised land is, it was a land that was promised um, to the Israelites, and that's about it. Uh, But attached to the promised land were two seas. Um, One sea was the Sea of Galilee. You may have heard of this sea before from such stories as Jesus walks on water, disciples scared in boats, all of the classics. the Galilee is there. So the Sea of Galilee. And in, from the sea, it gets its water from the Jordan River. It flows in. And this sea is teeming with life. It has fish. It gives trade to people, transportation. It is good for the land. This sea, the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, gets its water from the Jordan River. The second sea is this, the Dead Sea. 
not so appealing. But this sea, uh, it also gets its water from the Jordan River. But here there's no life. Here there's no fish, no vegetation. Hardly anything can live there. How is it possible that these two seas get their water from the same source but have such a different outcome? One has life and one has death. The difference is that the Sea of Galilee has an inlet but also an outlet. The water comes in and flows in but it flows out also. It is always giving away what it receives. Its waters are always fresh and full of life. The Dead Sea only has an inlet from the north. It receives, but never gives. The water flows in, but there's no outlet to go out. This example shows me that we can actually be in the vicinity or attached to the promises of God and yet still experience no life. You might know the promise of salvation and maybe the Holy Spirit has come once before and coming in, but unless there's an outlet for you to give life, flow on, reach out, all of the promises and all of the water will become dead like a swamp because this good news is not just for us. Jesus gave us the greatest example of giving. We see this in Hebrews 12 too. It says that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. If you put a torture mechanism in front of me like the cross, there's no way I would point at it and call it joy. But Jesus looked at it and called it joy. The joy set before him endured the cross because of what he was giving. He knew what life would come. And if we want this kind of joy, we need to allow the Holy Spirit not just to come into us, but out of us also. Let's take a little bit, a closer look at this. Because I've already mentioned the river being the source of life and uh, in the promised land, but, but there's more to that. That's a, that's a theme that continues to go through the Bible. So on the, same, on the same question of how do I get this, we'll dig a little deeper. There's numerous references to the river of life, the water of life, or the same sentiment of that throughout the Bible. But what is that? What is that? The river of life, the water of life. Psalm 46 verse 4 says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Jesus is spoken of many times in scripture of being the water of life. And so the river, I believe, is Jesus. But the streams are you and I. In the same way the New Testament says that he is the vine, that we are the branches. Here the Old Testament is saying that we, he is the river, we are the streams. And what do they bring? Joy to the city. Our right identity is not that we would just be infillings of water, but that we would be streams that bring joy into people's lives. 
And Pam already took this scripture from me this morning. I think she was listening on my door as I was preparing last night. But John 7, 38 says, whoever believes in me. So if you believe the good news, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within you. So when we believe what the scripture has said, the river of life can flow through us and bring joy to a city. Amazing. Amazing. So our function as Christians is not just to allow the water in, but to allow it out. Rivers, in a, especially in biblical context, um, cities were built around them. It's a great place to build a city around a river. Uh, it brings water. Uh, it brings uh, transportation. You can do trade off it. There's fish. There's food in there. Uh, cities were built around rivers. And if you were an ancient eastern city and you were building not near a river or you didn't have an underground well system, it was sure death for that city. Rivers are a great place to build a city. But streams, streams are for refreshment. On a hot day, a cool stream can be the best thing. You don't build a city around a stream, but that, it, will, it will run out. It won't have enough to give to the city. Streams are for refreshment, and this is why it's so vital that believers gather together because we're meant to refresh each other. We're meant to bring water and a cool drink to those who, who are struggling to walk. Streams refresh, but rivers give life. And Jesus is the river. We are the streams. Some of us in here today could be asking ourselves, well, where, where's my joy gone? She's raving on about joy. I haven't felt joy for a long time. Why is my joy so circumstantial? Could it be that you are building your life around a stream? This is why we can't make people our source of joy. They were never meant to be. They're streams. Jesus is the river. You can't build your life around a person or your joy will go like this and like that. Husbands and wives or partners or boyfriends and girls, anyone in a significant relationship, your partner is not meant to be your source of life. They are a refreshment. And when you realize that, you'll stop putting undue demands on them and asking them to give everything that Jesus was meant to give to you. You are meant to refresh each other. So many times all over the place I hear uh, like in our travels, oh, the church just didn't give me what I was looking for. Of course it didn't. It's not your river. It is a stream of refreshment, a place to encourage, to lift up and rejoice. But Jesus is the river. Have you ever tried to build your life on a person? How'd that work out? Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? She tried to build a life upon a person. She tried to make men her source of gladness. 
five actually, um, one after the other, it did not work. And when we read this, the story of the woman at the well, we see Jesus meets this woman, a dry, empty woman who was ashamed and banished from the in crowd. But Jesus engages with her. There Jesus makes an interesting connection between the water that he carries within himself and the thirst that she has been looking for in all the wrong places. And you can make your own correlation. You can make your own thought today of where you might have been searching for your joy in. It could be another person. It could be in your job. It could be in a substance. It could be in the weight on the scales. But Jesus says to her, oh, if you could drink from this water, this water. See, the water you're drinking, you have to keep coming back time and time again. You'll drink, but you'll never be satisfied. But if you would drink from this water, you would never have to thirst again. You see, he is introducing her to the source of life the water, the river of life. And you know what the result is? She gets happy, joy. She runs into the town hooting and hollering about some guy at the well. And and for two days, she becomes the first woman evangelist on the planet and the whole city gets saved. Joy. So I guess when... When you see yourself as a stream and Jesus as the river, a a really um, obvious question to ask might be, do I refresh? Are people refreshed when they encounter me? Or do I drain? I just need to download. Do I whinge? Do I join in the chant that this world chants about how bad everything is or do I rise above and refresh? Does the way I conduct myself give people an appetite for the river which is flowing from me? Because Psalm 104 verse 10 says this, you make streams gush forth in the valleys and they flow between the hills. That's us, church. You and I get to be those people who carry good news that right down in the valley of people's lives, we get to gush forth as streams of refreshment. That in between the hills, in the the seemingly insurmountable circumstances of their lives, you and I get to flow on in and bring a little bit of refreshment and hopefully create an appetite for the river that we're flowing from. You know, the interesting thing about water is this, that it doesn't matter how fast or, or how much it is, but water, if it maintains, if it's steady and consistent, can cut through the hardest rock. Let's not be rocks in the valley going, yeah, it's pretty bad down here, huh? <laughs> Let us be that water that comes and refreshes, even in the midst of our trials. Last question, and I have two minutes. What's your source? Is it truly Jesus? Or have you been building your life on a stream 
has your joy been up and then down? This way and then that way. Only present when everything in the relationship's fine. I've got joy because everyone in the family's well. I've got joy because my bills are paid. Or is it present even when the family's not well? Or even when there is struggles in the marriage? Or even when you can't see the end outcome of the bills that month? Because if it's up and down, you may want to check your source because my Jesus says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no reason for joy to yo-yo like the circumstances of life do. Building your life on Jesus means your joy does not have to fluctuate. It is filled, and this is what Jesus, God says about joy. You are filled to overflowing. Filled to overflowing. That word that they use there, overflowing, means to be filled and 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 and does not stop flowing. So two things that I want us to take away in closing this morning is this. Our identity, we need to know our identity. For joy to be at work, we need to know our identity in Christ. He is the river and we have a function of being the stream to bring refreshment that we would have an inlet and an outlet, always flowing in, flowing out. And secondly, that we need to identify our source as Christ, truly Christ, that we would not build our lives around streams begging for a drink, but we would build firmly around the river that never stops giving life. And the result of that, joy. Why? Because the one who is anointed with joy will not fail to produce it in you as you allow him to flow through you.